morning. You guys ready for a road trip? Makes you want to pack up and go, huh? This morning we are talking about road trip, and really we've kind of used this idea, this um, illustration, if you will, to talk about our spiritual lives and what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus and to be a part of discipling other people, right? And we think it has a lot to do with the road trip. In a road trip, there's always kind of that destination, right? That that place you're trying to go, but there's a journey to get there. You know what I mean? Like maybe it's uh, for just getting your family all in the car and heading up to Yosemite, right? And the goal is to get to Yosemite, but the, the road trip is that process or Yellowstone or Maybe some of you guys have come with us uh, over the summertime, and we've gone down to to Mexico. The destination is to love and to care on these orphans. Um, But if you've come with us, you know there's always a journey to get there, right? Or maybe the road trip is even just getting in the plane to go fly home for a wedding or a funeral or something like that. And and one of the, the things about a road trip is it's something we could probably do by ourselves, but it's always more fun to do with other people. In fact, that's... That's the essential element, I think, of a road trip, right? It's, it doesn't feel really like a road trip if you're by yourself. It's just a trip, you know? And um, in the same way, us as a church, I, I think in some ways we could pursue being like Jesus and knowing him and being blown away by him by ourselves. but we know that that is not what God has called us to, right? That's not where the joy comes from. Man. So each week we've been looking at different elements that are important to pack for this road trip, right? Different things that are kind of core to our discipleship. So the first week, um, Ron brought his old nasty shoes, and um, I don't think he really puts these in a suitcase. It would jack up the whole, everything he wore would smell like feet. But he talked about how having his work shoes is, is critical, and in the same way that love is always expressed in the way we act, the way we do right? That, that true love is, is the way we serve and love and care for each other. And so it's always important to have your work shoes so you're ready to serve and to care for people on this discipleship journey, right? And then the week after that, Max brought baby wipes and uh, used these to talk about how our righteousness, our purity, the way we live our lives matter and our spiritual cleanliness matters, not just for our own personal sake, but it matters because the impact we can have on the world when we are following Jesus and allowing him to clean our our soul, right? And then last week, Ron brought an illustration that I'm not sure what it means. I'm not even sure he knows what it means. Um, He brought his underwear and, and you can figure that out. Somehow this has to do with faith. I'm not really sure. Uh, I think something about faith is foundational and we all should wear them or something like that. Um, <laughs> now, but just the importance of faith in our spiritual journey, right? And then this week, I want to talk about unity. And to use that, I want to talk about snacks, right? Like, I don't know if you guys have ever been on a road trip, but it's always great when somebody brings out the massive amounts of snacks. You know what I'm talking about? Like when we go down to Mexico, I can always count on Debbie Van Sprockler, who has lost like 150 pounds in the last three years, does not eat junk food. I can count on her for bringing the massive tray of brownies, right? And I, or cookies or whatever. And I know that she didn't bring those for herself. I know she brought them to share. And I think that's really awesome, right? When, when people start bringing that. And then what typically happens is somebody else grabs out some of their snacks. And they're like, oh, cool, you brought the brownies. Check it out. I brought the potato chips or I brought the, the Oreos, right? And, and all of a sudden, what happens on that bus 
is instead of us being all focused on our own needs and discomforts and our kind of frustrations with each other, we begin to be focused on caring for each other, loving for each other. And I think that is a beautiful illustration of what we are about as a church, that that we are to be a church that is unified, that is marked by our love and our care for each other. And I think that especially becomes important in the day and age we live in. Right? I don't think our world has ever been unified, but I think it is in the forefront right now. There is major pain and disunity across our society, right? From politics down to local issues. And yet there's great hope, I think, for us, or there's encouragement for us as a church. That I think as a church, our goal is not to bring unity to all of America, not even to, to all of California or all of Fremont. I think the Bible calls us first and foremost to bring unity to the church, to be unified within the church. And so for us, we start not at this global massive scale, but we start at 505 Driscoll Road. And what does it mean for us here at Bridges to be a unified church, to be a church that loves and cares for each other? And I think this is an especially awesome opportunity here because unity probably is not the most natural thing for us as a church. Right, We come from all sorts of different languages, all sorts of different backgrounds, all sorts of different cultures, way of thinking, way of doing, way of worshiping. And so when we come together in unity, what a beautiful picture, not about us, but what a beautiful picture of the God that we worship, a God who is diverse, a God who loves all of us, who created all of us, right? And so that is the hope I think that we're talking about. That is the journey, the, the, the packing element that's so essential. So kind of the first point I want us to, to look at is this point that unity is a core spiritual discipline to be pursued, okay? That unity is something that is to be pursued, something that we should be longing for, something that we should be working at. Throughout Scripture, unity is this major theme in Scripture, right? You see it kind of uh, illustrated in the Old Testament with the, the nation of Israel. And there's some, there's some teaching elements of unity in the Old Testament for sure. But by the time you get to the New Testament, this becomes a major theme in Jesus's teaching. The importance of unity, the importance of loving each other, of caring for each other. In fact, I think one of the most powerful passages on this is found in John 17, towards the end of Jesus's life. Right, Jesus is praying, and he's got this prayer, and he says, God, I pray for these people. I've given them everything they need, and now I'm leaving them here in the world. Care for them, keep them, sanctify them. And then he prays this. So if you want to open your Bibles, or if you want to just read it off the screen, this is found in John 17, uh, verse 20. So starting in verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. So again, he's starting off saying, I'm not just praying for these disciples who I'm looking at right now, who I'm thinking about. I'm praying for the disciples who will come after them, who will hear their word and will follow along in that. That's you and I, right? And check out the prayer that Jesus has for us, for this church, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and you love them even as you loved me. What a powerful passage this is. 
What a powerful prayer this is, that God himself is praying to God. God, this is my prayer, that they are one. That in the same way you and I are one, that they are one. And through that oneness, your glory is made known to the world. And this isn't just wishful thinking. Again, this is God praying this. And so we can have great confidence that this is going to happen, that this is happening. And we see it pick up right in the, the New Testament church, right? The book of Acts. What do we see? The, the believers, they start selling their possessions to care for those who are in need, to be one as a church. They start meeting and fellowshipping together in such a profound way. And, and as every book in the New Testament, there's this major theme of unity throughout it. Uh, the book of Romans starts talking about how we are, are like a body, us as a church, that we each have our part. And then it says this. It says, therefore, live in harmony with one another. And it actually says, pay special attention let me say it right here so I don't jack it up. Pay special, spend special time with those who are in a lower position than you. So it's saying, don't just be one with people who you are like, who you have common interests with, who you are of the same social economic. Specifically focus on those who are in need. That's what unity looks like. That's what oneness looks like. And then uh, Paul goes on in the book of Galatians. He talks again about how we are this oneness that we share, how we come from one faith, one baptism. And he, and he says this, he says, therefore, all the ways that we use to kind of in-group and out-group each other no longer make sense. All the differences that we have in society that we say, okay, I'm this kind of person and they're that kind of person, you don't need those anymore. So he says, there's no Jew nor Greek. In other words, all these racial and ethnic divisions that you've kind of divided yourselves with saying, I'm this kind of person and you're that kind of person, you don't need those anymore because you are one in Christ. He says, there is no slave nor free. In other words, the socioeconomic status, the way that society gives value to one person or another, that doesn't matter in the church. That doesn't have value here in the church. He says, there's no male nor female, that even the, the gender identities, that the things that we use to kind of divide us and separate us, no, not in the church, that we are one. And it goes on, every book I think in the New Testament has this major theme of unity. And it's awesome. I think uh, there's a good argument to be made that before Jesus, if you look at ancient societies, that there's really no perspective of intrinsic human rights, that people only had value, only had worth by what they could contribute to society. And yet I think there's a good argument that Jesus has changed that. And that even the idea that we have today of human rights comes from the teachings of Jesus that have been birthed out of the church that we have worth, we have rights, we have equality because we are one in Christ. And as I was thinking through that, I was just blown away with trying to understand the breadth this week of all that it says in the New Testament about this. And then it struck me that it's one thing to just kind of theologically understand this, but how do we do this? Right? That becomes really challenging. Um, I was at a church before this. Some of you probably heard me talk about this, but the church I was at in Oregon before this went through a really nasty church split um, while I was there. And it was, it was really painful. It was super destructive. And I think what happened is really well-meaning people, people with, I think, that meant well, leaders and, and people within this church, they put their personal ambitions, they put um, their strategy for what the church should look like, they, they might have even put their theological differences or the church bylaws. They put those as more important than unity in the church. And it was really ugly. 
remember being a young pastor sitting around the room and listening to people I respect and care about tearing each other down, siding with one person over another and saying really hurtful and cutting things in the name of the church, right? And I remember it wasn't just the leaders in the church, even everybody in the fellowship, they all kind of joined in and people started picking sides and you would hear it, right, in those typical conversations, probably conversations we've all had, like, oh, when that guy preaches, it's just all fluff and stories, there's no meat to it, or that guy's so boring, I can't stand him. And, and people started picking sides on this issue. And it was like this disease, like this infection that tore our church, and even the, the local news picked it up and started running stories about the divisions in this, this church, and the name of God was not glorified in that. And I was thinking about that. Was it an issue of our theology? Was it, if you were to ask us on staff and as a church, do you believe in unity? We would have all said, absolutely, right? Would you say, do you believe that it's something that, that God has called the church to that, that is important for the church? We'd all say, yeah, But I think where we failed on it is we weren't pursuing unity. It wasn't a practice that we were being intentional about. Does that make sense? And and as a result, um, it it got ugly. So this morning, we're going to look at a passage, right? And in, in this passage, Jesus is really ripping into some of the religious leaders of the day, right? And, and, and for some disunifying reasons. These these religious leaders were promoting their own personal agendas, their own pride, their own arrogance at the sake of of tearing each other down, of hurting each other. Instead of like going around the bus, if you will, figuring out what snacks they had to share, they were going around the bus going, hey, hey, Ted, you got any snacks I can have? And then Ted would give them some snacks and then they'd walk over and they'd go, hey, Jeremy, check out these snacks. Mine are better than yours. Oh, you don't have any snacks, huh? Well, I got good snacks over here, right? Maybe someday you can get good snacks like mine, right? That's kind of what was, was going on in, in an extreme way, right? Not exactly. That's maybe as a stretch. <laughs> um, and so Jesus is using this example of these Pharisees, this negative example, to teach his disciples what the church really should look like. Right, he's got this group of disciples. And in fact, the passage we're going to read, it's not even clear if the Pharisees and the scribes were even there. So Jesus is using them as an example, and he's saying, listen, you guys, you are about to be the church. He must know that these, these people he's talking to are going to quickly become the leaders of the church. And the church, like every organization, is going to have bureaucracy, and it's going to have authority and accountability structures and, and financial institutions, right? And all the things that, that make up an organization. And he goes, I want you to realize this, that, you're, that this church is not to look anything like what you know. This is not like just some sort of like improvement on the religious systems that you've been a part of. This is completely different, this is, is to be totally transformed the way you think and the way you know. This is hard for us to get our head around, right? It's easy for us to just kind of reproduce what we know and slightly improve on something, but to totally to re-envision what unity is. And I, I believe that there is nothing in our culture, there's nothing in our world that we can point to and say, okay, that's unity. We need to pursue that, right? The only thing that we see is Jesus, the the unity, the perfection of him to pursue. And I think it's a little bit like for these disciples, like it's just hard to imagine something totally that you've never seen, right? Like if you ever, I always find this kind of weird. Like if you watch a science fiction movie, you know, people get in like a little 
whatever, a spaceship, and they travel like billions of light years away and they land on this planet. And have you ever noticed that aliens look pretty much like humans, just a little bit different, right? They got two legs and two arms. Maybe they got one big eye in the middle of their head and like dress, dreadlocks made out of flesh or some weird thing like that. But they're, they're pretty much human, just with a slight variation. I think it's because it's really difficult for us to imagine something that we've not seen, right? Imagine something we, we haven't fully experienced yet. That is what Jesus is calling him to. He's saying, hey, this, this is going to be, and you can see this, and we see that in, in his prayer in, in him, not in the institutions of our world. And I also think it's, it's important to note that sometimes when we read about the Pharisees, at least when I read about the Pharisees, I kind of, because they come from such a different culture than I am, and they, they have their, their outfits and things that are so different than what I'm used to, I can get kind of like this caricature, caricature, I can't spell it either, it's misspelled on my notes here, uh, this picture of the Pharisees as like these evil villains. Does that make sense? These like super professional evil villains. But I think in reality, they have a lot more in common with you and I than we're comfortable believing. In fact, a lot of these these scribes and Pharisees were not even professional religious people. They were people probably similar to you that taught uh, Bible studies and taught children's ministry and all these different things, yet they became so corrupted and so disunifying in what they were doing. So let's read this, and as we read this, I want to encourage you to ask this question. How do we pursue unity in our church? So looking at the negative examples, we see how do we we see that in the positive light? So it's Matthew 23, and uh, it's going to be verses 1 through 12. All right, it says this. Then Jesus said to the crowd and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit at the seat of Moses. So be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, and they put it around people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they they do is done for people to see. And they make phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. And they love places of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. And they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Right? What a a marked difference between the actions of the Pharisees and what God has called us to, that we are to be humble in order to be exalted. And so the first thing that really jumped out at me is that we in the church, we need to be really careful how we handle authority, right? These disciples, again, they uh, were used to a very rigid structure of discipleship, right? The the, the structure that they knew was, okay, I am above you. I'm going to teach you everything I know. Someday maybe you will be above somebody else and you will teach them everything that you know. And Jesus jumps right into this, this picture of what is authority in the church. He says, these scribes and the Pharisees, they sit at the seat of Moses. That would have been the seat in the temple where you would open the scrolls, you would open the Bible, the Old Testament, right, the law, and you would read from that, and you expound upon that. So he says, hey, be careful to do what they tell you to do, right? They're preaching from the word of God. There's importance, there's value, there's authority that comes from that. But he says, but watch out. 
don't do what they do, for they don't practice what they preach. And on top of that, they take the authority of God's word, and they add all this other junk onto it, and they put these heavy burdens on people's shoulders that they can't possibly carry around, and look at them, they're not doing it themselves because they couldn't even lift a finger to help anybody else, right? And I think that's challenging for us. I think that that makes us realize that so often we put authority on the wrong things, right? We put the authority on people, on the institution, on even the, the doctrine of a church. He's saying, look at this. Put the authority on the word of God, on scripture. And I think this is really important for us still today because I think this is a natural temptation for all of us. We can kind of shortcut this, right? Instead of reading God's word for ourselves, instead of being challenged by God's word, we kind of shortcut that and go, oh, I just download this podcast of this pastor and I get all the, that I need from it. Or I read this author and he teaches me everything that I need. Or I follow this person or that person or, or, or all these different ways. And in and of themselves, those are not bad things. In fact, those things I think can be really helpful and important to kind of our spiritual formation. But are we following some sort of Christian celebrity or some sort of Christian author or a pastor or your small group leader? Or are we following Jesus? Does that make sense? And I think there's this subtle but, but really important uh, difference there. And I think we, we got to be careful of that. In the same way, I think the flip side of that, it feels good to be respected, doesn't it? If you are kind of mentoring somebody, if you're encouraging somebody, you want people to look up to you and ask you for advice. And, and that is, is good. That's great. I think that's part of discipleship. As we are walking in this journey with each other, there are times that we need to mentor and disciple each other along in this journey. But be careful where we put the authority. Be careful not to get to the place where you, you kind of go, wow, yeah, I am important, <laughs> right? You need to listen to me because I have the answers. Instead of turning people to the word of God, that is where the authority comes from. It's not from us. It's not from our great ideas. It's not from the wisdom that we have. It comes from God's word, and we want to be pushing people to that. I think actually this is one of the the most beautiful things of our, well, it's not one of the most, there's a ton of beautiful things about our faith. But one thing that I love about our faith is that we don't need to have a middleman between us and God, right? There's no priest that stands up between us and says, thus says the Lord, and we have to listen to that priest because they're the only one that has access to God or, or some sort of special spiritual leader. In fact, Jesus is that. That's what he's getting at here. He's like, don't take on the word rabbi. I'm your rabbi. You don't need another rabbi. I got you. You are sitting at my feet. Learn from me. See, for us, discipleship is not this hierarchical journey. It is this journey side by side as we follow Jesus together. That's why Paul even could say, follow me as I follow Christ. He's not saying, follow me because I got all the answers. He said, let's pursue Jesus together because that's where the authority is. That's where the value is. You might be thinking about this. What does this have to do with unity? Because it kind of, it does feel a little bit like a sidetrack, right? But I think this really does have a lot to do with unity because if we get this wrong and we start putting authority on people, if we start following people, then we are naturally gonna be susceptible to being divided by their own personal ambitions and their struggles and their sins, right? And pretty soon it can be easy to be like, okay, I'm on this team over here. Oh, wow, you guys are on that team over there? Oh, and it begins to divide us, to break us apart. Does that make sense? As opposed to seeing ourselves, as I believe this passage says, that saying, you don't need a rabbi. 
because you are all brothers and sisters. You are siblings sitting at the foot of the rabbi who is Jesus learning and growing from him. So I think the first thing that jumps out to me in this is that we gotta be careful how we view authority, how we hold authority. The next thing I see here is that equality is to be pursued by acts of intentional inequality. All right, this is, I think, something for us to kind of chew on and think about here for a second, that, that Jesus is making this, this pretty extreme point here. He's saying, you don't need to be like the Pharisees who elevate themselves above other people that say, look at me, I've got this all figured out, check me out, call me by my title. Instead, you should do the exact opposite and be a servant, right? He says this, he says, if you think you need a title, don't take on the title teacher. Don't take on the title rabbi. Don't take on the title father. If you need a title, take on the title of servant, right? That's, a, that's an extreme statement because it's saying, hey, if you want to have value, if you want to be, to be pursuing this, take a lesser position than everybody else. Take a position underneath other people. See, I think the challenge is oftentimes when we think of equality, we think of raising people up to our level, right? That equality is, is helping everybody else have the same rights and the privileges I have without giving up any of my rights or privileges. In fact, I think that's even kind of what the scribes and Pharisees are about in this passage. They're, they're saying, I mean, I, I think from somewhat of a good place, they're saying, hey, come be like us, practice the way we do, do the things we do so that someday maybe you can be on the same level of spiritual goodness as we are. And Jesus is saying, no, no, in this new church that's gonna be birthed out, that's gonna be pursuing me, the title that you long for is not one of authority, it's not one of power and privilege over other people, it's one of submission, it's one of sacrifice. Now, here's the deal with these snacks. If I hang on to these snacks... I have privilege over you. None of you guys brought Oreos to church today, did you? Right? I got something over you. And if I hold on to these, I get to eat these in my office all week, right? So one way I can um, give up some of my privilege is very simple. Just here you go. Pass these around, Ted. There you go. All right? I got to save these for next service. So... Uh, but I will give up all of my power and privilege and authority. I promise you that. Uh, don't take them all for yourself. Be unified. Be... <laughs> right? I, I think this is really important for us, that, that unity is not some sort of new, like, politically correct, liberal expression, right? This equality, it comes to the foundations of who we are as followers of Jesus. And we don't need these things that try to elevate ourselves above each other. Jesus talks about uh, the phylacteries, which are like these kind of um, boxes that the Pharisees and scribes would tie off their head with bits of scripture in it, right? Bits of the law, Old Testament. Really a good idea is this idea to constantly remind them to put God's word as paramount and primary in their life. Yet they would use these things, so they walk into a room and people go, Dang, look at the size of his phylactery, right? You take that where you want. 
They go, wow, he's got a big one. Wow, he must be really godly. And then they'd have these prayer shawls with these long tassels. And again, those were not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, Jesus probably used some of those. But they would tie these extra long tassels, and they kind of use them like a rosary bead sort of thing, kind of to remind them to pray. And again, people would go, whoa, he's got trails of those things behind him. Now, we don't need that in our society, right? I don't need to tie off little tassels on my jeans and tie off big books. In fact, if I did that, people would not think I'm more godly. They'd just think I'm weird, right? (laughs) But I don't need to do that because I can tell you how godly I am in 144 characters or less, right? Or I can show you how godly I am by all the different causes that I support on social media or the way that I uh, put bumper stickers on my car or all these different ways that we try to prove our moral superiority over others. And the scripture teaches us that there's no place for that in the church, that we don't need that, that we are a community that has come together in true equality. And so the, the mark of this community is not one of elevating ourselves over each other, but is one of servanthood. So much so that the teaching of Jesus is that the first will be last, right? And the last will be first, that those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, I think on these titles, it's important to note that Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't have any sorts of titles and things like that. I think he's making a pretty extreme statement, right? I don't need to, if my daughter calls me father, like if Olivia comes up to me, it's like, hey, dad, I don't have to be, call me Nate, please, right? Like, that's not the point he's making here. But the point is, how do we hold these things? How do we value ourselves over other people? And, and I think this is beautiful. I think this is happening in our church. I think this is happening in churches across the world because Jesus prayed it. It is coming true. I think that's why at Impact Day yesterday, you have the CEO working alongside of somebody who's unemployed, right? Or you have the bike mechanic working alongside of the homeless person that brought their bike in to be fixed because there is this unity that's happening. But I think this is something that we have to be intentional about. How do we take what God has given us, these privileges, these powers we have, and intentionally give them up, surrender them for the sake of those who are in need of those things? Paying special attention to those who are in a lower position than us. Again, that's not a value statement of those persons. That's, a, that's a, a, just a statement of how society and how we treat each other, saying, no, not in the church. We are to be unified. The last thing I want us to, to talk about here is in this passage, I think there is a call and a seriousness for us to get serious about learning the art of sacrifice, to learn the art of sacrifice. And, and I say learning the art of sacrifice because I think this is something that takes practice. It's not just a skill that we learn overnight. It's something that, that we constantly have to work at. In verse 12, Jesus says that those who are humbled will be exalted and those who are exalted will be humbled. In other words, this is this foundational thing. In fact, that's repeated throughout Scripture. Other authors reference back to Jesus saying that because it's so foundational for what it means for us to be a Christian that we need to work and to long and to develop this skill of how do we sacrifice for each other. And I think it looks different in all sorts of different situations. It looks different depending on what the relationship is. There are certain people that when I sacrifice for them, it literally means me sacrificing financially for them. There might be another relationship where my sacrificing for them is just a time, it's just a relational issue. There might be other situations where I'm caring for them and allowing, you know, and inviting them to be a part of my community. 
right? And we as a church, that we need to get good at sacrificing for each other. That's why we try really hard as a staff, as a team, as you guys I know all try, that like, for example, the worship styles not always connect with every one of us equally, yet we sacrifice for each other, for the unity of our church, right? There's all sorts of things that might bug us, that might be different than us, that we might not totally agree with, yet we, we joyfully sacrifice for each other, knowing that that is the call that God has put in our life. I think one of the greatest areas for us to practice this is actually in our small groups, It's difficult to imagine sacrificing across all of Bridges as a whole, right? We're pretty big and complex, and to to understand unity for all of us kind of simultaneously is difficult. But it's a little bit easier to kind of view our small groups as really like a workshop for us to be unified and sacrifice for each other. But one note on that, if everybody in your small group kind of looks and acts and thinks like you do, maybe it's time for us to invite somebody else to be a part of our small group that doesn't look and act and think like we do. But I love that. I think somewhat naturally within our small groups, when we begin to know each other and care about each other, we begin to learn to sacrifice for each other. Like the other day in our small group, I was waiting. We've got this new guy who just joined our small group who's looking for work. And I was looking to tell him, waiting afterwards, I heard about a job opening and I wanted to tell him about this job opening. And one of our other members was talking to him. And it was really cool because as I'm listening, I realized that this other member is telling him about a job opportunity she's heard about. And I just think it's cool that we're, all of us, this person that a month ago we didn't even know, we're now trying to use our circle of influence and our network to help benefit them, right? And that's just a small picture of what this sacrifice and this unity looks like. But again, I want to remind us of what Jesus said in, in John 17. That this is not just about us being a really cool church. This isn't about us being a nice place to be. This is about the glory of God. That when the world sees our unity, when we see the unity that happens in the church, we go, wow, what a great and loving God we worship. So as we kind of close out today, I want us just to kind of think about that. And think practically about it. Don't just hear this and go, okay, yeah, unity is a good thing. We need to be unified. We need to sacrifice. But specifically, how can we be unified this week? Right? That's the model. That's who we are. That is who Jesus designed us to be. That is the very the focus of what the church is. So how do we do unity this week? Not just be unified. Does that make sense? So let me pray for us. And um, I just encourage you as we're kind of wrapping up and worship and prayer that you ask God, God, Teach me to sacrifice. And maybe even ask the challenging question, which is, God, teach me to sacrifice in a way that hurts, in a way that stretches me, a way that I don't necessarily want to do, that I need you to to teach me. Let's pray and ask God to do that in our lives. God, we praise you that you are a God of unity, that in the very nature of who you are, you are one. And because of that, we as your church can be one, not because of our greatness, not because of our, um, our willpower, but because of you. And so I pray that you teach us that this week. I pray that we become more and more unified, that we seek to promote each other, to lift up each other, to care for each other because you have cared for us, because you have loved us. God, we praise you.
Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.